Welcome to the Wild and Free Podcast, Episode 15. I'm Ainsley Arment here with Tina Ingold, and today we're talking about our summer reading list, just for us mamas, as well as ways we'll be sneaking in learning opportunities for our kids throughout the summer. You'll also hear a conversation with Jennifer Pepito and Rhea Berg, all about traveling the world with her kids as part of their homeschooling journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join us on the front porch. Let's get started. if you were planning to read anything this summer yes I do Um, have a few on my list and I know you're an avid reader so I'm anxious to hear what books you would recommend reading well this summer I really want to get back into reading fiction Mm -hmm. I go in phases with it I love fiction but because I'm homeschooling sometimes I feel like I can't just sit down and read a book for Mm -hmm. no good reason (laughs) you feel guilty yes yeah yeah. So one thing that I'm going to do is my husband just finished his second novel. He doesn't let me read it as he writes it. We just got it bound and I'm going to sit down and read that. So that'll be my fiction indulgence. But two of my favorites that I'm going to reread this summer that I haven't read in a while are A Charlotte Mason Companion Mm -hmm. by Karen Andriola. Mm -hmm. And I want to reread Learning All the Time by John Holt. I know we talk about John Holt sometimes, but I love all of his books. And that's one that I wanted to sort of reread that I read a while ago. And Charlotte Mason Companion was super formative for me in the early years of homeschooling before I knew what the different styles were, the different methods of homeschooling. And my good friend sent it to me and it's just become a great resource. I love it. It just sort of gives me a vision for what I want the learning environment to look like in our home. So yeah, that's wonderful. I'm going to be rereading those two. And then a new one that I just saw on Zane Schweiger's Instagram, she had posted a pile of books, but Project Based Learning by Lori Pickard. Mm. It looked really interesting. I looked it up. So I put that in my Amazon cart and I'm going to pick that one up. And then I also just ordered several of Charlotte Mason's original writings. Mm. And I wanted to read some of those, like the original homeschooling series. She has a book on nature and habits. So we'll see how far I get in those. But those are some things that I wanted to read this summer. Those sound great. The Charlotte Mason Companion I actually have on my list. And a couple others I have are Chasing Slow. It's by Erin Lochner. It's basically about just slowing down, stripping the excess, refusing to amass in a world that shouts for more. And that totally speaks to my soul. I just think deep down we have that desire to live really minimally and freely. Mm -hmm. Uh, My husband always says, the more stuff you have, the more enslaved you are to it. And I I really believe that. And I really feel that not that there's anything wrong with having stuff, but I think it's important that we make sure that everything we do own serves a purpose. And so just being more conscious of that. And then pocket full of pine cones. I love that one. Do you? Okay, I haven't read it yet. But yeah, one of the reviews. That's Karen Andriola. Yes. One review was saying it helped her to slow down and really enjoy her children, encourage doing things together rather than me planning all the activities and then the kids just joining in on it. I don't know. I like that idea of just the togetherness and planning together and anything by John Holt, like you were saying. And Mm -hmm. I know that we talk about him a lot. One of my favorite quotes from him is there's no difference between living and learning. It is impossible, misleading and harmful to think of them as being separate. And that quote right there really shaped our whole view of homeschooling. Just thinking about no matter what we're doing, whether we're going to the grocery store or taking a walk, everything that we're doing in life is really all about learning. So we don't 
view those two things as separate anymore. And I love that way of living our life. It's so true. I know that's sort of my ideal as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like I don't quite ever live up to it Mm. on a regular basis, but it is sort of my goal. And I think that's why I love summer so much too, Mm -hmm. because I feel like summer learning is way more exciting to me than even the school year. Yes. I don't know if you'll know what I mean, but it's almost like sneaky homeschooling, but that's sort of how I want it to look all year long. I love it because the kids feel refreshed knowing that they're technically on summer break and it feels so fun and carefree. Mm -hmm. But I also love it because I feel off the hook. I don't have to plan something and I don't have to feel like we have this amazing routine. We can just sort of go and have fun. I know that some people really thrive on routine Mm -hmm. and I think it's wonderful, but routine kind of wears me down. Mm -hmm. And even though it's important for kids and it creates natural rhythm and it brings peace and predictability. So I definitely strive to have a rhythm throughout our weeks Mm -hmm. and our days. But I honestly struggle with getting creative when I'm immersed in routine too much. I don't know. It's just not how I'm wired. So when there's a routine and everyone's just sort of doing their things, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess this is just what we should do. Mm -hmm. But during summer, it just gives me all the energy. Maybe it's the sun and the warm weather, but I just get all the energy to get creative. And I'm all about the artsy projects. And, Mm -hmm. you know, have you ever heard the phrase invitation to play? I love doing that in the summer. And I don't know why I don't do that more during the school year. So I have been thinking about that and I'm inspired to do more of that. We just made these tiny gardens. All I did was buy a couple of pots Mm -hmm. and we collected moss and I bought a few succulents that were in the dying section of Lowe's. (laughs) Yes, I love it. (laughs) You know, where they're all discounted and they look pitiful. I found these little wooden mushrooms on Amazon and I thought they were so cute and little critters that were so cheap, but just really adorable. Mm -hmm. And I pulled them all out and the kids their eyes got so big and they had the best time Mm -hmm. they thanked me a million times you would have thought it was Christmas and they planted their succulents in the dirt Mm -hmm. and then they created a little scene with the moss and they made these little gardens and they play in them every day they go over there especially the young ones the older ones like to tend them and look at them and they'll water it occasionally but yeah I love they love looking at it they have little bridges and little tiny homes in there that they've built and it reminded me that kids love Mm -hmm. using their imaginations and just creating little worlds. Like so many things, homeschooling is about so much more than the end result. Joy is found in the journey. Keeping the inborn wonder alive in our children is a continual process. Preserving the curiosity and creativity of their youth requires intentionality and an at-all-stakes mentality. It takes time to let children grow and learn at their own pace. Time to daydream, get lost in a good book or imaginary play. Childhood is not a race. It takes courage to stay the course. But the time we have with our children is a precious gift we get to unwrap each day. And in the years to come, when they are grown and on their own, we will remember the beautiful, albeit difficult and often harrowing journey we traveled together. Friends, our new Journey Bundle is live, and it's packed full of inspiration for your homeschooling journey. To learn more, just go to bewildandfree.org bundles. I do want to take a minute to thank everyone that is listening to this podcast. I feel like it means so much Mm. to all of us that are involved that you take the time to listen. And we've been so grateful for the reviews. Our main goal Mm -hmm. with this is just really to encourage others who are on the same journey, whether they're veterans or still considering homeschooling to be the right choice for their family. But I wanted to read a review that really encouraged my heart. And just again, thank everyone for these reviews because they mean so much to us. 
this review is from Always Room for Moors, and she said, The Wild and Free community has completely changed our homeschool life. Our family has been back and forth with education, and it's inspired us all to be all in and do it the wild and free way. I absolutely cannot say enough how much we appreciate everyone who takes the time to contribute to this podcast. It can't be easy to be so vulnerable. The public can be harsh and critical, but for those of you who need a cheerleader, I say keep pressing on. We hear you. That really, mm. really encouraged my heart and just was, it was really neat just to read through all the reviews, really. We have read each one of them and it just means the world to us. Thank you for leaving them. We're new to the podcast world, mm-hmm. so we don't know much about this. But from what we've learned, iTunes really counts on those reviews to find podcasts that they want to feature. So if you leave a review, it helps other moms find our podcast as well. And that's really the goal. I mean, we've been doing the Instagram feed and creating the monthly content bundles for a couple of years now. So thanks, everyone, for leaving a review and helping us to share this community with even more mamas out there. I saw this one review that I thought was so great because it goes along with our kinship bundle so well Mm -hmm. she wrote i found my tribe it's ccm kelly and thank you for leaving this she wrote i have been homeschooling for five years and was about to throw in the towel i just wasn't inspired by the typical conversations going on in the homeschool community but along came wild and free and the fire was lit inside me once again finally homeschool moms who care more about transforming the hearts of their children through home education than merely filling their heads with the most information my dream for my children is that they will be inspired to be explorers for life it is life-changing to hear from other homeschooling mothers who are free spirits. In my homeschooling experience, free-spirited mamas have been majorly lacking. Thank you, Wild and Free, for inspiring me once again. I finally have the tools I need to keep homeschooling, but my way, which is perfectly encapsulated by Wild and Free, never looking back. So I don't know. I just love that she wrote that she found her tribe because I think we are here because we want to create a community for other moms to feel like they're not alone on this journey. Mm -hmm. It can feel lonely or intimidating. I mean, I have so many moms that are new to the homeschooling world that ask me almost the same questions, you know, that weight of responsibility of teaching your kids all they need to know before they're an adult. And do we ever have down days? Because I think a lot of times pictures that you see online can give the illusion that homeschooling is so fun and easy and carefree and you know when really there are hard days and and it is a full-time gig I think just Mm -hmm. being able to be really real and vulnerable and honest and just have a fun conversation about it and Mm -hmm. let everybody be in on it I think that's really fun and hopefully encourages some people too Fluent and Smiles wrote Finding My Way Home I am a homeschooled child who grew up went to college became a therapist got married closed her practice and decided to be a stay-at-home mom, but found myself utterly lost and directionless. The transition from working professional to home educator was rough for me, but this community has sang the song of my heart back to me when I had forgotten the words. I've been rediscovering all the special things that made my childhood so bright and colorful and which instilled in me a deep love of learning. While listening to these podcasts, that voice that tells you you're crazy and leads you astray from your heart has gotten quieter and quieter. When I listen to the Wild and Free Women, I am inspired as an educator, a mother, a wife, as a woman. I love that she said. <laughs> that was yes, awesome. I know. So well written. I, thought, I know. I love how she said that this community has sang the song of her heart back to her mm-hmm. um, when she had forgotten the words. I feel like that's true for so many of us because one of our values in Wild and Free is really to rediscover childhood. And I feel like that's such a huge part of us as adults. We need a childhood intuition and mm-hmm. we need to be childlike ourselves in order to inspire that in our children. Absolutely. So I love that she wrote that. Mm-hmm. And thank you everyone for sharing. This community is not just 
just you and I, Tina. This is Mm -hmm. so many women. I mean, just the amazing contributors every single month and the presenters at our conferences and the interviews that we feature each month are all such a wonderful part of Wild and Free. And these are the women that are inspiring to me. Me too. Same here. Woo, Wild and Free! Woo! Now we're going to listen to a conversation between Jennifer Pepito and Rhea Berg. They talk about the wonder of traveling with our children and giving them world experiences as a part of their home education. You're in for a treat and we hope you enjoy. Here's Jennifer and Rhea. Today I'm talking to one of our homeschool heroes, Rhea Berg. She's on Instagram at Rhea Berg, and you can find the beautiful books and curriculum that her family produces through beautifulfeetbooks.com or on Instagram at beautifulfeetbooks. And then Rhea also blogs at RhiaBerg.com. So thank you so much for joining me today, Rhea. My pleasure, Jen. So happy to do this. I know. I'm excited to talk to you a little bit today about travel and adventure with families. You've raised pretty much raised six kids, and a few of them, from what I understand, are doing school or living in some way abroad, have or are currently living abroad. That's correct. None of them are currently living abroad, but our daughter and son-in-law lived abroad for five years. So while he was getting his graduate degree in church history at the University of Edinburgh, they lived in Edinburgh, Scotland for for four years. And then my son-in-law won a scholarship to study in Paris for a year at Institut Catholique. And so my son-in-law and daughter got to live in Paris for a year after wow. Edinburgh. So that would have been a fun place to visit. Did you get to was. visit them while they were there? We visited a couple times and it was, it was fabulous. Yes. And then when they were studying in Paris for that year, I rented a flat and went over for five weeks with my two youngest daughters, who were both still at home at the time. And then I just invited all my girlfriends. And so I had a whole, you know, sort of (laughs) factory of girlfriends coming through at different periods of time. And we just had a fabulous time. Just Boy, I wish I had known you then. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it was really a fun time. Yeah, so when our kids travel, it's really neat because it gives us such a great excuse to get there and be with them and and experience those cultures together. So what are some of the books and ideas that were constant in your family that helped inspire a love of travel and that spirit of adventure? Well, I think that just reading itself, it's just just, you know, what did Emily Dickinson say? You know, there's no frigate like a book to take us to lands far away. And I think that being a broad reader and reading all kinds of books really nurtures that sense of adventure and that love for adventure and wanting to explore and experience new things. And so I think just because we read such a broad amount of literature and read all different kinds of literature, all of our children love to travel. And our kids have been all over the world. It's really quite amazing when I think about it because, you know, they grew up in a small town in the Sierra Nevada mountains in California for about half their childhood. And then we moved to Cape Cod and that all came as a result of travel too. So probably tell you a little bit more about that later. But the thing that literature does is I think it takes away the fear of the unknown and makes you feel comfortable with the notion of other cultures and other uh, ways of 
seeing life and doing things. So I see Oh my that. goodness, I love that idea yeah, that I, literature can really broaden your cultural horizons too. Yeah, and I think um, the way we did it in our family was we really concentrated on our own history in the early grades. So we did lots of American history. And, you know, when the kids were in fourth grade, we did California history, you know, state history. And then we always took the trips to the California missions and to Sutter's Ford and Sutter Creek. And, and all of those areas where history took place. So they were very accustomed from a young age to not only reading about history, but then going and seeing history where history took place. So it became their, a very familiar process to them. And then I think as they read on a broader level, then it makes them want to explore more places. But I really like the idea of getting really familiar with your own history first, your own country's history, and exploring those places, and then broadening out into a wider realm. And that worked really well for us. We ended up taking our children on what we called our early American history trip. We were living in California and we had four little ones. The youngest was between age three and four. So then five, seven, and nine, which was a great age group to take to Boston and do the Freedom Trail and Plymouth Plantation and see the Mayflower and see where the pilgrims lived. And we just had so much fun doing that. And our kids were just absolutely enchanted because it was like, you know, visiting these places they knew so well through the pages of books and was just delightful. That's a really encouraging idea too for a lot of young families. I think that I know for us when we were a younger family, we didn't necessarily have the budget or the time or the energy to go on, you know, an international trip with a flight and all that entails. But on the other hand, we did a lot of field trips and then eventually started taking little trips down to Mexico and expanded from there. So I think that's an encouraging idea for so many young families that it doesn't have to be something big right off the bat, but you can start small. So what were some of the strategies that you guys took? I'm assuming that you did either all driving for that early American history trip or a fair bit of driving to get to all those spots. Right. How did you keep your kids happy in the car? And this was like pre-iPad days? Yes. Oh gosh, it was. It seems forever ago. It was all pre-technology. You know, the thing that was really amazing, Jen, is when we first started homeschooling, you know, Greg Harris was sort of the patriot of homeschooling back then. And he and probably Raymond Moore and James Dobson probably promoted homeschooling more than anyone at that period. And what Greg Harris did, which was really awesome, was he put together a Christian bed and breakfast directory. Did you ever know about that? I didn't know about that. What a, what a great idea. It was amazing. And you know, we were a young family, you know, we didn't really have any money, we're living on a single income, we have four young children. So, you know, travel was just kind of, it seemed out of our realm. And then this is when Continental Airlines was still around, they had a special, which they never do anymore, buy one, get one free. And so we were able to fly our entire family round trip from San Francisco to Boston for $900. Oh, a family of You can't do that anymore. No, you can't do that. <laughs> And before we went, we wrote letters. We had the Christian Bed and Breakfast Directory, and we wrote letters to all of these families asking if we could come stay with them. Well, it's a lot to open your 
home to a family of six, but these were Christian families all over the country that understood the gift of hospitality and understood what a blessing it was to meet new people and have people in your home and offer them hospitality. And so we were able to stay with families starting in Plymouth, Massachusetts. There was a family there, the Brighams. We stayed with them. And, you know, staying with a family was so fantastic because they tell you all the greatest places to go. I think that the Walden Free groups could probably be a good resource for that. And I know it's funny, even with Instagram, I think last Christmas, I Instagrammer that I follow, I saw that she was in Sonora. And oh. so I sent her a message and said, hey, come stay with us. And she had her own Airstream. So it was very low maintenance to have them stay with us. But it was such a fun experience mm. to share life with another family. And I think, you know, with Airbnb, there's a lot of yes. actually kind of comforting ways that you can get to know another family and stay cheap somewhere yes. without, you know, having to spend a ton of money or book multiple hotel rooms or whatever. Right. And that's what we did. You know, we did the Atlantic seaboard. So we started in Boston and we went all the way down to, you know, Washington, D.C., Mount Vernon and Monticello. So and that entire area that we did, we stayed with Christian families all over that Atlantic seaboard. And it was just it was fabulous. We met people from all different walks of life. You know, one of the families we stayed with was living um, in Arlington, right outside of Washington, D.C. And they were really a wonderful couple in Christian ministry, ministering on the military bases there. It was quite an amazing experience. So between getting such a wonderful deal on the airfare and then, and now I feel like you can sort of do that with miles if you, you know, if you're just conscientious about, you know, using a certain car to rack up miles, you can make it affordable to fly your family. And then, you know, because we were staying in homes, the host family would provide breakfast and then, you know, we would go to the grocery store and just do picnics for lunch and that sort of thing. So you can really make it affordable. And um, that was a really magical trip for us that ended up in us really falling in love with New England and ultimately moving to Sandwich, Massachusetts five years after that trip. How interesting. (laughs) I love too that, you know, travel opens up the idea for more travel really is what happens. It's so true. My daughter went to, she went to a school in Geneva, Switzerland and part of that experience involves staying with my aunt and uncle in London for a little while. So then she, you know, she was able to do that on her own. But then a year later, my husband and I joined her there. And she was a great tour guide. But it's like there were small steps that led to that, you know, so I think that for you guys with your move, and and then for us with our trip to Africa and Ireland last year, there's small steps like driving to Mexico or going out on a field trip or some of these other things that have happened way before we put the money into flying to Ireland or Africa. So yes, you know, that's such a an important thought, because it's so wonderful to really get to know our local area first, and be curious and be excited about what's really doable for our family. I mean, when we had four young children, we couldn't take big trips all the time. But every year, we went to Yosemite every spring. And, you know, you can stay in really economical cabins there. And we would rent bikes and ride all over the valley and take hikes up the waterfalls. And, you know, so that is 
is just one of the ways you sort of establish family traditions that become really meaningful and part of your family culture. And then every September, because we were homeschooling, we could always go off season. So every September, we would go down to Newport Beach and rent a house on the beach. It was about half the price of renting a house in the summer. But because we were homeschooling, we could afford it. So it was those kinds of things that just made travel very reasonable and affordable for us. When we live in a community or a culture where there's different levels of affluence, sometimes it's easy to get confused about what our own values are. Mm-hmm. I know I was just having a conversation with some people the other day because we're selling our house and I gave her my upper price for the house we were going to buy. And she was like, oh, you might need to go a little higher. But I just said, you know, what my priority is actually is travel. And so I'm willing to get less of a house so that my husband and I and our kids can travel more. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that people really have to consider in wherever stage of life they're in, whether they're planning for a trip or just planning to homeschool, you know, what are your values? Because we can't do everything. Right. So decide, you know, am I going to work more and make some more money? Or am I going to spend a little bit less and save a little bit more money? Kind of decide what, what your goals are, if it's travel, or if it's just a nicer wardrobe, or if it's a really, really, really good library, which, you know, the library and the travel <laughs> are both high priorities for me. So Yes, me too. And one leads to the other, you know. I love this quote from St. Augustine. He says, the world is a book and those who do not travel read only a page. Ooh, that's interesting. Isn't that lovely? Some of my kids' favorite travel journals, there's a series written, I think, by Richard Halliburton, and it's old. And he wrote three different books about his travels around basically the world. So I love that, you know, my kids, I mean, we've read a lot of books that inspired a love of travel or love of other places, but it's been fun to find a few even sort of travel memoirs that have Mm -hmm. encouraged that. Can you think of any particular that stand out to you that you read to your kids growing up that really? Well, I think, you know, the Genevieve Foster books, because Genevieve Foster introduced this whole notion of horizontal history. And she was the one that came up with the idea of writing a history book. that focuses on a central figure. So one of her books is Abraham Lincoln's World. So when you read Abraham Lincoln's World, the book is focused on him, but it shows when he was a boy, everything that was going on around the world at the time that he was a boy. And so you see what was happening in France and you see who the musicians were in Europe and you see who the great artists were at the time that, you know, Lincoln is running around in, you know, little leather britches in the woods. And, you know, she did the same thing with George Washington's world and the world of Captain John Smith. So you get that global view when you look at history that way is that we can be so American-centric in terms of our view that we forget that there's such a great big world out there. And that's what I love about what Genevieve Foster did. And, you know, you can start reading those books in fifth, sixth, seventh grade, and it just broadens a child's view of the world because all of a sudden you're finding out that during the American Revolution, this is what was happening in China And in the early 1800s, Russia was starting to have their own feudal uprisings. And all of these ideas have impact around the globe. Those are just some of the books that we read when our children were young. 
you're kind of focusing on American history at the core, but you're seeing the world at large with all of the key figures that are making a difference in history and not just the geopolitical figures. Because I think, you know, we also, when we study history, have a tendency to look at just what's happening geopolitically. And that's so often a shame because there's so many wonderful things happening in art and music and science and inventions. And that's what I think Genevieve Foster does with her books. That's so brilliant because she doesn't just elevate the geopolitical figures, although they're important. She also shows, you know, who was inventing the steam engine and why and how that changed the world. You know, those sorts of things where you can really see the connections. Yeah, I love that. I know for us, it's funny, we're talking now about a trip to Italy. Mm. And so my kids are all interjecting ideas about where they want to go besides that based on favorite books. One of my sons has been reading A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. And so he really wants to go to Russia. And then another son has a great fascination with Greek history. And he's read, you know, the Trojan Wars and some of those books. So he wants to go to Greece. So it's been really fun to see, like you say, how the places that we read about really spark a desire to see them. And for me, I've read several of Peter Mayall. I think it's Mm M-A-Y-L-E-S's books. (laughs) So I want to go to Tuscany and sit in a vineyard or an olive orchard. Yes, he's he's fantastic. The Year in Provence books. And yeah, and I think, you know, I, I have to say, though, I was a bit of a traveler. I had that adventurous spirit as a young girl growing up. So when I was 18, 19, I moved to France for a year. And I worked as an au pair. And I studied French at Alliance Francaise. And and so I always had that, that adventurous spirit myself. And so that was a love that I had that I wanted to share with my children. And so now having adult children that love to travel, and now they want to share that love with us, it's so much fun because when they go to these places and they live abroad, they want us to come over and visit them. And so it's sort of like an extension of all that time that we've spent reading with each other and exploring these places through the pages of book, then suddenly we're in a position where we can explore them in real time and the real places where they took place. And that's just so memorable. When my daughter and son-in-law were living in France, my husband and I carved out some time and went over there and did the whole Normandy tour. And having studied World War II, you know, for years, but never having been there, the impact is just phenomenal because you really feel the price that was paid and the sacrifice that was made there when you visit those battlefields and the graveyards. It really takes your breath away. And and that's why I think travel is so important because if you're just getting it from the pages of the book, not that that's not very valuable. Um, I don't think you can ever really realize the impact of it. Yeah. And it's really interesting too, when you think about how travel, you know, going to another culture, even if it's a relatively affluent culture does shift our value system just a little bit, Mm -hmm. because whether it means that we want to buy less disposable goods so that we can buy more, you know, flights, or whether it means that we want to buy less disposable goods, because we've seen the plight of refugees, and want to help them. Either way, there are benefits that happen to our society by getting out of our own little world and seeing more of the big world that's out there. Yeah. And I think, Jen, it's so important in this day and age when there tends to be this rising sense of nationalism and and fear mongering. And, you know, that was one of the things that 
was very insightful, I think, when my daughter and son-in-law were living abroad for all those years. They were completely appalled because they were away from American media, by and large, and they became sensitized to how our American media is driven by fear. And we fear sells the news. And so there's that constant underlying theme of fear-driven media reports. And by stepping out of that for five years, they were just really amazed because so many of the things that we believe are often driven by a fear-filled media. And to step out of that for a while and see the world through a different lens is just so incredibly important. So many good things to think about, Rhea, and I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today about travel and inspiring a love of travel in our children. Well, I want to end with a quote, if you don't mind. This is from Mark Twain. Travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness, and many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. Oh my goodness, that's so good. So thank well, thanks you. for I sharing. talking about travel. My children have lived all over the world and traveled all over the world from Nepal to Egypt and France. And it's just been a wonderful experience to see them have those adventures. Well, thank you so much, Ria, for really kind of inspiring us with the long view. All right. Um, inspiring our kids towards travel. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much, Rhea. If you'd like to hear more on this topic, Rhea Berg wrote a rich and beautiful article for the new Journey Bundle called The World is a Book with gorgeous photography by world-traveling mama, Kirsty Lamore. If you're new to our monthly content bundles, you can download our free sample bundle or become a subscriber at bewildandfree.org bundles. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but join us next week for the Wild and Free podcast. Mm-hmm.